I wonder, friends, have you ever been on autopilot? Have you ever been on autopilot? What do I mean by autopilot? Now, this is not working for me today. So, Steph, you and I are going to be a team down the back. If I can get Kian, if you could come and sort this out for me, that'd be amazing. On the next screen, you shall see the dashboard of someone driving. I wonder if you've ever been on autopilot. Now, what do I mean by this? It's this moment where, I don't know if this has happened to you, but I drop my son off at daycare three times a week, take Archie to daycare, and I'll hop in the car. And as I hop into the car, I'll, I'll kind of, something will happen. And the next thing I'm aware of is that I'm then at daycare and I've lost like 10 minutes of my life. I'm like, where did that go? It's like muscle memory takes over. I don't think this is just me. Does anyone else know what it means to drive on autopilot? Does anyone else realize how scary it is that you are driving a death machine on autopilot, sometimes with children in the car? Sometimes it's really helpful to be on autopilot. It means that we can just think about other things. We can maybe not be so present in the moment as we wrestle with God or life's bigger existential questions. Autopilot can be really helpful when we're flying a plane. They use it a lot more these days to improve the safety of flying a plane. I've been on a boat with a guy named Stu Greenway where autopilot navigated us through stormy seas and across ship lanes. Autopilot is really helpful if you own a Tesla. Amen. I was just trying to see who owns a Tesla in the church. <laughs> not me yet. Amen. Okay. And uh, that's really helpful. Let me tell you when autopilot's not so helpful. It's not helpful if you don't own a Tesla. Amen. You've got to remember that. This thing doesn't drive on autopilot. And that's helpful for me to remember as sometimes I get distracted by singing in the car. Autopilot can be really dangerous when you're having a marital conversation with your partner. And you just kind of fall into autopilot when your wife says, hey, does this dish look good? And you're like, yeah, it looks fantastic. And they're like, you didn't even look at the dish. And you're like, oh, right, I'm just into muscle memory at the moment. Autopilot can be helpful. Autopilot, this muscle memory idea can be dangerous. What do I mean by autopilot? When we allow muscle memory to just remind us of the rhythm that we do day in, day out. We brush our teeth, how we make our bed, how we dress ourselves, the food that we prepare, how we go to work. But you want to know where autopilot's the most dangerous? It's the most dangerous in our relationship with God. Now, I wonder how many of us are actually on spiritual autopilot today. That sometimes we even rock up at church and we can sit through a whole sermon. And the next thing we know, someone's got a coffee in our hand. And we're like, I don't even know what happened for the last hour. I think Michael preached. That day in, day out, you're just rolling through life and you're thinking, maybe I'll just wake up one day and I'll be before the throne room of God, but I'm just set and forgetting my relationship with Jesus. I actually think it's a really dangerous place for us to be in. Friends, I wonder, are you on spiritual autopilot today? And maybe you're here today, you're one of those 10 people that gave their life to God at Alpha. And this is your first day in church. You're like, I'm not on autopilot. I'm on auto fire. Let's go. Like, I want to tell more people about the gospel and I'm ready and I'm pumped. And I just want to let you know that we want to put more fuel on that flame. Thank you so much for all God's doing in your life that you're open and ready for. But maybe there are some of you here today that that's not where you are. That maybe you're on spiritual autopilot, you're not a Christian, but you're just doing things over and over again, hoping that life will get better and it hasn't. Maybe you've been coming to new life for a while now and you're wondering why things haven't changed. And I just wonder if we've set and forget our walk with God and God is challenging us. Friends, today we remember and celebrate that we are 28 years old as a church. 
that in 1991, three congregations came together and they decided that by the faithful, adventurous nature that God had placed in their heart, they would dream of a place in the middle of swampland and farmland, in the middle of Rabina, where no one lived and no one had dreamed that anyone would ever plant a house at Rabina. They were like, why don't we put a church in the middle of nowhere? And people were like, well, there's nothing here. And you're like, but maybe one day there will be something here. 28 years later, suburbia has grown up around us and our church is here. And I can guarantee you, if you ask those people who were there in 1991, their minds could not have dreamed, hoped for, or imagined all that God has done over the last 28 years. That we've planted four churches. We've seen thousands come to know Jesus. We've sent people overseas. We've sent people out faithfully on the mission of God. Why? Because there was this sense that we would not be a church on autopilot, but we would be listening and following and obeying the voice of God. But we're at a moment now where it's actually fairly easy at New Life for us to get comfortable. This isn't a hard building to attend church in, right? This isn't difficult. Thanks so much, Kian. This isn't difficult for us to rock up into church. We have these beautiful seats. The biggest question that we often ask, is the room hot enough or cold enough for us so we can change that with air cons? The music's louder or softer because we can actually have control over that thing. It's actually really such a blessing that the last 28 years of faithfulness that people gone before us have paved the way for us to have a beautiful facility like this. And I've got to tell you, friends, there are churches in Australia who would love to be able to have a facility like this. Our church planning friends down the front are like, amen, amen. You guys don't want it, we'll take it. There's a sense, right, where we have an amazing generational ministry. We've got a great kids' ministry happening right now. Great youth ministry. We saw like, okay, you know, 10 or, 10 or so teenagers baptized two weeks ago. Beautiful stuff that God is doing in the life of our church. When I talk to people, hey, why did you come to New York? I like, oh, for the kids' ministry. And I was hoping they would say, oh, for the preaching. No one ever says for the preaching. That's right. That's a hint in case I meet you afterwards. There's this sense where God is doing something faithful, even reminding us that he's present in the room somewhere in the ceiling. We have ministries. We have this beautiful car park. But here's the problem. These things, friends, I don't think they invigorate us into moments of action. Sometimes they can lull us into sleep. Sometimes they can turn off our keenness as we just go into comfortable mode and we just start doing what we've always done. John Mark Comer says this. He says, for many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It is that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. We will just skim our lives instead of actually living them. On this, our 28th birthday, I believe that God has not called us at New Life to spiritual mediocrity, but rather to a spiritual life and overflow that transforms our hearts and transforms the world around us. I believe that we are called to be a people deeply formed so we might passionately gather the lost, that we might glue in community, grow as disciples and go on mission. I believe that the days that lay before us may be harder. They may be more challenging, but they're going to be more filled with the Spirit of God and more adventurous than anything before. And the best days are still to come. However, there is a risk that we may miss in what God is calling us to. As we fold our arms, lean back and go, now is our time to sit. Friends, have we gotten into spiritual autopilot? And if you're here today, it's your first time with us. Can I just say, 
then today is a moment for you to hear the heart of what we believe God is going to do in the life of our church, of who God is calling us to and what it means to call new life home. When I was praying on my holidays and preparing for this sermon this week, during over the last couple of weeks, saying, God, what do you want to share with us? I just really sensed that we have this rare moment here at New Life Between Series. We usually preach it through a book of the Bible or a passage of Scripture. And I have this moment right now to just kind of, a free kick is what we call it, just preach on whatever God's leading us into. And as I was praying to God, I really sensed God said, Mark, I want to tell you what I want to distinguish New Life by for the next 28 years. What is going to be the next, the next thing that, that people are going to know New Life for? And, and that's pretty scary for me because it's like, I, 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 okay, God, like, is this going to be, you know, we're launching five more church plants today, like a new ministry, like what is it? And, and God just really simply said to me, I want New Life to be known as a place where people gather who are marked by the presence of God. That we would be a people who are thick with the aroma and the reality of living in and dwelling in the presence of God. Now, when I say the presence of God, there are some of you who come from more Pentecostal tradition. And what you hear is what we're going to step into is to a moment of hype and manipulation where someone hops up and plays keyboards and suddenly everyone gets the feeling that God's in the room. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about a moment. We're talking about a reality that I believe God is calling New Life to be a place, to be a people, not just on Sundays, but wherever a New Life person is, that they would know the presence of God is not only with them, but is in them. And to do this today, I just want to walk into a moment uh, back in the Old Testament of a guy called Moses. You remember, remember Moses from such things as this moment when he led the people of Israel out of slavery from 430 years in Egypt into freedom in the middle of the desert and then into the promised land under a leader named Joshua. You may remember Moses from one of the greatest movies of all time, Prince of Egypt. Who's seen Prince of Egypt? <laughs> Friends, like you've got to go watch this movie. It's phenomenal. It's just so much fun and, and it's probably streaming somewhere. But there's this moment where Moses is in the middle of the desert. And he's led millions of people out of slavery, out of Egypt. And he's with God. And God is about to lead them or send them into the promised land. And there's this weird conversation that happens between Moses and God in Exodus chapter 33. Where Moses is scared about what happens next. So Moses says to God in verse 12, he says this. Moses, you have been telling me, lead these people. But you've not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. Moses comes before God and says, you're sending us into something that I don't know. I can't see the future. And I want to know who's going to come with me. How do I know that I'll be okay? How do I know that this is going to be safe? What's going to happen next? Who's going to be with me, Lord God? And the Lord replied, Lord replied, sorry, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. When Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, if your presence, God, does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? In a moment, Moses is very clear with God. He says to him, God, I don't want what's next. I don't care how great the blessing, how great the promise but I don't want what's next if it's without you. If it's without your presence, it's without who you are. But this is a weird moment, right? Let me just call it out. If you've been reading the text with me, you'll realize how weird it is. What does God say first? My presence will go with you. And Moses, almost as if he's like an impetulant child, turns around and goes, God, if you're not going to go with me, don't set me up from here. And we're like, he just said, chill, Moses. He just said he's coming with you. 
It's like, what else do you want? This is bizarre. Why is Moses saying this? It's because, friends, Moses is aware that there is a very real possibility that God's presence might not go with them. What do I mean by that? Well, rewind with me a couple of chapters earlier. The people of Israel come out of Egypt and they're identalists. They have no identity. They're identalists. I just made up a word. English teachers shout out. There's no identity for the people of Israel. They don't know who they are. So God brings them to Mount Sinai. And at the bottom of Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 19, he says this, that you are my treasured possession among all peoples of the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. But if you cycle back up the verse, he says, but only if you indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. He says to the people of Israel, hey, listen, if you can obey me and trust me and follow me, I will give you an identity unlike any other people on the earth. You will be my special possession, my holy nation, my kingdom of priests. It's this beautiful moment. God says, I will be your God. The living God of the universe will be your God of this people. And how do the people react? Well, first, everything's okay. Everything's going really well. And God calls Moses up Mount Sinai. And on the top of Mount Sinai, the glory of God descends. And there's this moment where Moses and God speak face to face. And the people of Israel wait down the bottom of the mountain. But what happens to the people of Israel is often what happens when Michael's preaching on a Sunday. They get bored. Some of you are like, what? (laughs) You lost me at the start. There's this moment where the people of Israel get bored and they get tired of waiting. They get tired of waiting for what God will do next. They get tired of not knowing. They get tired of not seeing the promise. They get tired of waiting on a God who called them out of Israel, called them out of Egypt into the promised land. They're like, well, let's take this matter into our own hands. And in this moment, they make a choice. In Exodus chapter 32, verse 1, it says this, When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together, Aaron, and said to him, Up, make us gods. Such an interesting way they talked to Aaron. Up. (laughs) It's like if I was there, I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Please and thank you. Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of, the, out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. In their boredom, friends, they decided to create gods that fit their desires. In the moment where they get tired of waiting on God, they go, let's make our own gods that serve our needs, our desires. Let's fill the space of what God's not doing with what we would like God to do by creating our own gods. And if you know the story, they get all their jewelry together and they melt it down and they create a golden calf. And they worship this golden calf in the middle of the desert. Now you might be sitting there and going, that's so bizarre. That's so weird. Why would they do that? That's that's why that sounds silly when God's up on the mountain and like they can see what's going on. And friends, I would say that this is actually what I think we often do. That in our time of being tired of waiting on God, when we grow bored with God, we allow the white space of our lives to be filled not with seeking God further, but with our attention being taken by the cultural things of our day. We allow this white space, these gaps in between, we allow our attention to be yielded to the gods of our day. Spending time with God is more than just an exercise you do 15 minutes of every single morning. God is present with us all throughout the day and yet only has our attention for a fraction of it. And I find this most often in my own life as your pastor. Real for me. When my wife gets too... When my wife... When my life... My life gets too hard. (laughs) Definitely my life. 
my wife is great. If you're watching online, Sarah, you're just so good. When my life gets hard and work gets stressful and things get too much, my white space becomes not a product for me to wait on God, but to distract my attention. I go to YouTube. I, I, I look at trailers. It's nothing naughty, nothing wrong. I open the news app. I find out what's going on with crypto. I don't even have a cryptocurrency. And I'm so interested in what Bitcoin is doing. I'm working out what's going on with you know, Anthony Albanese today, whatever. And, and there's this mind where I just, I just don't want to be here. I switch my mind into spiritual autopilot mode. And I just hope I can get through another day. I don't think I'm alone here. I go to the toilet and I find myself scrolling on my phone, which is still one of the most unhygienic things we do. Don't touch someone else's phone. <laughs> what we don't realize is that we're actually in something's presence. What we're inviting to be present in those moments is shaping us and is forming us. That's who we're becoming. Who will you become is more than a question we asked in 2021. I feel like we kind of left it there. It's like, oh, great, I've become. It's the question of our lives. It's the question of who we are. It's the question that never should escape our lips. Our, our, our lips, our lips. It's okay, I'm going to get there this morning. And the, and, the, and the heart behind it is this, is that what has our attention is what is forming us. A lady named Mary Oliver says it like this, attention is the beginning of devotion. See, the Israelite people, they had God on the mountain. They could see more than we can today, but still they chose to give something else their attention that would serve their agenda, their needs, and their wants and their desires. And friends, we can ridicule them, but does not our time become a black hole of movie trailers, of Netflix binges, of gossiping, of SMSing, and the demands of our world as we don't create and cultivate time to give Christ and God our attention? What is getting our attention? What is getting our focus? Where is the time and energy and priority of our lives? What is it naturally flowing towards? And in this moment, as God comes down, as God sees that they are worshiping a calf rather than God, in this moment, he makes a decision that he is not going to go with a people who prefer everything else than him. They want his blessing. They want his promise but they don't want him. And so he says in Exodus chapter 33, he says this, now go to the land of milk and honey. Go to what I've promised you. Go to this land, which will be your own. You get the promise, but I will not go with you because you're a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. A guy named Peter Grigg says it like this. When he preaches on this text, he says, he gives them the promise, but he denies them the presence. Friends, imagine if we planted another six churches. Imagine if we had to have another five services on Sundays or we had to build more car parks or buildings or God just blew up and revival broke out and we were like, man, stuff's going on. And it looked like we were successful as a church, but we missed the presence of God. Would it be enough? What about in your own life? Imagine you got the car, the house, the wife, the husband, the life that you were looking for, but you missed out on the presence of God. I can guarantee you this, friends, it wouldn't be enough. It wouldn't be enough. And this is why Moses is grieved because God has allowed them to be formed by the gods of their own choosing rather than the God that chose them. So what does Moses do? Well, in verse 7, we, we see Moses, 
He doesn't go, well, God, guys, God's not going to go with us, so I'm just going to do this in my own strength. It's all on me now. Let's giddy up. Now Moses is afraid because it's never been done without God. And so what does Moses do when God says, go to the promise, but you don't have the presence? Moses does what he's always done. He doesn't go into spiritual autopilot. No, no, no. The Bible tells us that autopilot's not how he operates. He has a relationship. And in verse 7 of chapter 33, we read this, that Moses has set up a tent of meeting just outside. Then Moses, Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away. And he called it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord will go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. As you read on, what you find out is that, number one, anyone that wanted to could go to this tent and inquire of the Lord. But only Moses and Joshua found themselves at the tent. Only Moses and Joshua would regularly and daily carve out time to go, hey, we've got to go seek God's face on this. And this is so often how it works in church, right? It's the pastor's job to go to the tent and then we'll just, we'll all kind of come together and hear what God's saying. But we forget, actually, that's not the way God originally longed to operate. That only a special few had access. In the original plan of creation, it was all created by God, could have access to the presence of God, to commune with God. And Moses had this desire that he did not want to live and operate without talking with God. So he went and God honored this heart of Moses and he descended in a pillar of cloud and he would commune and speak with Moses. But what we find is this, in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of social distraction and pressure, in the midst of millions of people longing for one thing, Moses makes a deliberate decision to meet with God regularly. Moses builds into his life space, time, and a place to meet with God. Why? Because more than the promise of God, Moses desired the presence of God. Because the presence of God, we realize when we read this, it's not a moment on a mountain. It's a practice of a lifestyle. Friends, sometimes we think the presence of God is this feeling we get sometimes in church when the preaching's good enough. When, when the keys player comes up and starts, they play that holy chorus, like, and it's like, ooh, God just rocked up. And it's just not true. That's not how the presence of God works. Friends, loving God, experiencing God, and knowing God is therefore, it's not a feeling, but a practice. Moses does not encounter God because he manipulates God. He doesn't dance in a certain way and something goes like, you did enough. Now I shall rock up. He doesn't experience God because he played the right song or because the preaching said the right thing, but because daily he carved out intentional time out of the rhythm of life to seek to dwell and to wait upon the Lord. And we can so often get this wrong as a church. We think that experiencing God is some kind of quality of the service when it's meant to be a daily reality of our life. The presence of God is a reality to be experienced, not a feeling to be chased. The presence of God is to be pursued, not manipulated. The presence of God can be quenched and grieved, friends. When we have unrepentant sin, when we only surrender part of our life, when we come to God with false motivations and He understands, then we can miss out on what God is doing altogether because we, friends, are not actually truly surrendering all we have to God in those moments. 
See, in this moment, they had grieved the presence of God. Why? Because they allowed the culture around them to label their priorities. They allowed the culture around them to teach them what worship looks like. They allowed the culture around them to teach them what to do with white space and with their boredom. But all throughout Scripture, we give an example time and time again of people who not only grieve the presence of God, but also people who pursue the presence of God. And what happens? What happens is that God responds to people who make it a priority to pursue and cultivate a lifestyle and a practice of dwelling in His presence. And so the question I want to ask, are we prepared to be your church? Are we prepared to be a gathering of called out people, God's ecclesia, that are marked by a hunger to see the presence of God? Or just dwell in the things of God. And this is something I've experienced attention. There was this moment, I was in London at a conference. Um, and I was really stoked to be at this international conference with a lot of leaders from the global church. And, and no one knew who I was. I was kind of like a nobody. And I still am a nobody. There's not much has changed. But this is still a couple of years ago when we could travel around the world. And I found myself after, this after one of the sessions on my way to a restaurant with two of my heroes. You won't know who they are, so I'll just call them X and Y. And as I'm walking with these two guys and 20 others, I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm, on to, I'm going to dinner with two guys who are like my heroes in the faith, church planning, geniuses, like phenomenal men of God. And I'm texting Sarah and I'm like, you'll never guess what, I'm going to hang out with X and Y and this is going to be the best. And I rocked it into this restaurant. Everyone starts jostling, you know, who's going to sit next to these guys? And I'm like, oh, I'm going to try to position myself. And in that moment, just as my dreams of hanging out with my favorite people in the world could, could come to fruition, I sense this small voice say, hey, come spend time with me. And I'm like, it's weird. Don't usually hear voices in my head. Shut down that voice. And I'm like, let's hang out. And I hear it again, the voice of the Holy Spirit. Hey, come spend time with me. I'm like, nah, Holy Spirit, how about you come spend time with me? Let's hang out with X and Y, and we'll have a really great time. Revival will happen. It'll be beautiful. And then I hear it again. No, 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 just you and me. Come spend time with me. And in that moment, I'd start texting my wife, Sarah, and I'm like, hey, I just sense the Holy Spirit saying this, but I'm with these guys. Like, what do you reckon I should do? And she goes, you know exactly what you should do. So I'm like, yeah, fantastic. So I stayed at the restaurant. <laughs> no, I didn't. In that moment, no one, we hadn't really sat down yet, so no one really knew who I was, so I just kind of like, Drifted out the back, and I left, and no one noticed I left. And I just went and wandered the streets with God. And you know, in that moment, there wasn't any lightning or thunder. There wasn't this moment of epiphany where I'm like, boof, wow, God, that's what you wanted to say. But there was peace. There was something in my heart that shifted. Because in that moment, there was like, you know, God, more than hanging out with mortal men, I want to know an eternal God. And I just wonder today, are we ready to be a church that prioritizes the pursuit of the presence of God before and above everything else in our life? Because I believe it's what the world needs. I believe it's what the world longs for. I believe it's what the world is hungry for today. St. Augustine says this, to fall in love with God is the greatest romance, to seek Him the greatest adventure, to find Him the greatest human achievement. And that is why in this moment, we read what Moses says when he says, he says this thing. Whoop, it's back of face. No, it's not there at all. I'll just tell you what he said. He says, if you do not go with us to God, then do not send us up from this place. Moses rejects the promise so he might remain in the presence. I wonder if we would do the same. If God could paint the most beautiful picture of our future and say, it's all yours, but if I give it to you, I will not be your priority. You won't. Chase me. You won't pursue me. You'll forget the presence. But you could have it if you want it. 
will we be willing to say, God, all I want is you. All I want is you. Because in this moment, Moses turns around. I don't know if you, you remember what he said. He said, how will anyone know that you're pleased with us? He asked this question. How will anyone be able to distinguish us if your presence is not with us? Do you want to know how the Bible distinguishes the people of God through the whole biblical narrative? It's not through blessing. It's not through riches. It's not through their warfare. It's not through their, the way they do rituals or sacrifice. All other nations had this. It's because they were the only people whose God actually showed up in power and might, whose presence was known, who were marked by a living God. That's what distinguished them. Friends, you know what needs to distinguish them? I know like there's all these verses about yeah, the love of God. Yes, 100%. But all these things are found most thick and tangible when the presence of God is known and we are aware of it. Because I believe as a church, God is calling us to be a people who prioritize the presence of God before anything else. Not just on Sundays, but in our weeks. But we recognize that when we gather, friends, there is something God does, whether you're online or in the room, when we gather together. And we have, we, we've stopped prioritizing this. Did you know that it's actually now called regular church attendance to come to church once in every six weeks? That's not regular. If you went to the toilet once in every six days you would be known as irregular. And we forget that. Should have said that at the 8 a.m. Totally went out of my mind. Friends, we don't attend church because Michael's got something new to say. We attend church because we gather together in the presence of God. Because this week, we forgot to dwell in the presence. So we come, we reset. Then we go out on Monday. We're like, this week, I'm going to gather daily in the presence of God daily. And as it gets hard and we get distracted, we're like, that's okay. I'm going to gather together on Sundays. I'm going to remember, God, your presence is good. It is with me. It is for me. Okay, let's go back out into our world. When we become irregular in our attendance, we become irregular Christians that the world doesn't need. I was going to encourage you, friends. What does it mean for you to prioritize the presence of God in every part of your world? And you know what it's going to look like? It's going to mean that we bring our agenda. We bring our priorities. We bring everything. And we say, God, it doesn't matter anymore. I just want more of you. If we never plant another church, if we never do anything else that the world calls successful, but we are marked by the presence of God, then it will be enough. That's why we're stepping into a series on prayer. Not because we thought it would be nice. Prayer's not nice, friends. Not because we thought it would be comforting. Prayer is more than just comforting. Because it's the weapons of our warfare that we're going to see God do something mighty in our time. We need to be a people marked by prayer. On August the 6th at New Life Conference, we've got Mark Sayers coming, Joel and Julia Bell. But I'll be honest, I actually don't want to do conference. Because it's just going to be about me sharing with what I believe God's taking us in the next five years. And if all we're going to do is rock up at conference and go, where are we heading? It's not enough if we don't prioritize the presence of God. If we don't be a people marked by the presence, then nothing else is more important. Why do I say this? Because here, here's the claim. The whole biblical narrative is about God reuniting his people with his presence. The whole biblical narrative, it's the main point. You know, Michael, hang on, wait. I think the main point is Jesus. I think we're saying the exact same thing. See, if you look at the biblical narrative, Back in, the book of Genesis, back in the book of Genesis, what does it say? It says the, God, the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. And, and as God is hovering in the absence, out of His creativity, His selflessness, He creates the heavens and the earth. 
And the middle of this cosmic temple, he places man and woman. Why? That he might dwell with them and walk with them in the cool of the day. He wants to dwell and have communion with us. But Adam and Eve, just like you and I, we wanted more than just God. So they pursued their own selfish kingdoms. And because of that, sin, which is impure, cannot exist in the same presence as a holy and righteous God. So they chose to leave the presence of God. They were expelled by the presence of God because of what they chose to pursue. And in that moment, they were cut off from God's presence, but they eternally continued to long for it. But here's what happens. God doesn't go, well, let's start again. Got that wrong. No, for this is His creation. His presence continues to seek out His creation and reunite them with His presence. All through the book of Genesis, He uses the line and story of Abraham. We get into the story of Exodus. And what do we find? We find God's presence calls His people out of Israel. And then he comes and he dwells amongst them in a mighty pillar of cloud in the tabernacle, the tent of meeting that would one day become the temple. And the full holiness presence of God makes his home amongst his people. Now, there's a moment there where the sin in their life means they've got to be removed from the presence, but they know that his presence is with them. And there's this beautiful thing where God inhabits the temple, but he is separated from his people. Why? Because sin and God's presence can't coexist in the same place. And so only those, only the high priest once a year, once he's been made pure, can enter in behind the inner curtain of the temple to access the presence of God. But this still wasn't enough for people. Even though they saw God do mighty things, they, they, they went away from him. They went down their own pathway. And in those moments, they lost the priority of the presence. And we read through the whole Old Testament, it is the story of God grieving his people, forgetting to prioritize his presence and dwelling with them and his voice and obeying him. So what does God do? Does God leave the earth? Does God say, well, my people do not want me, so I will go off and be alone? No, God doesn't give up. His presence of God inhabits human flesh in the person of Jesus Christ, both fully God and fully man. He walks amongst us. Jesus' name is also Emmanuel. And what does the word Emmanuel mean? God with God with. Friends, the gospel is the presence of God with us, that Jesus himself walks on the earth. Why? That we might see Jesus and know the character of the Father. He longs for you more than you long for him. He calls you home more than you call to be brought home, that by his death and his resurrection, something would change. After dying a death that we should have died, after living a life we could not live, something happened to that, temp that curtain in the temple that separated people from the presence of God. It ripped in two. And in that moment, it was the declaration across the universe that God's, that God's presence would no longer be confined to those who were pure and impure. But now by the blood of Jesus Christ, anyone could be made pure for their whole life. And they might know the presence of God, not by going to a temple, but by knowing their Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, when Jesus ascended to heaven, what does it mean that we've got to go find where Jesus' body is? That we might know because there is no body. He is on the throne. So what is his answer? He sent the power of the Holy Spirit. Last week on Pentecost, we celebrated that the Holy Spirit descended and inhabited the hearts of humanity. Do you want to know where the temple is now, friends? It's not at this church. The temple is not a geographic location. It is a people. It is living in the hearts of people that God's presence is no longer just with us. He is in us. That if you are a Christ follower, if you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then here's the beauty. The presence of God isn't something you go to find. It is something that dwells in and with you every single day. Which means, friends, the presence of God isn't something we beckon to come. The presence of God is something we've got to become more aware of that is in our life. The very power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. And our spiritual autopilot has allowed us 
to forget what is in us. But here's the truth, friends. One day we will stand before the throne of glory and we will not sing songs of our sins. We will not sing songs of our needs and our seasons. We will sing songs that are eternally true. Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, Father of heaven and the earth, as we dwell in God's presence for eternity, living amongst His people. Friends, this is the story of the biblical narrative to be reunited to the presence. And sometimes we wonder, is the presence of God just a good feeling on a Sunday? No, it's a reality we live in every single day. We no longer need to go to a tent of meeting. Our tent of meeting can be wherever we are. Do you know the presence of God today? Maybe you're here today and you're new to church and you're like, this is flipping bizarre. It is. I'm not trying to justify you with a reality that makes sense. I'm trying to tell you that this is weird and this is bizarre, but it's true. And I believe some of you right now, you're experiencing this sense that you've never sensed before because God's presence is making you aware of his reality. He's been here the whole time. The presence of God is not something we manufacture. It's not something we churn up. It's not something we plead for. But rather surrender our wills, attention and hearts that we might become aware of it. That now which exists right here in this room. Therefore, God's presence is no longer a moment, but a practice. It is no longer a gathering or a place, but a reality we walk with. We don't just believe in God with us, but by His power, we believe in the Holy Spirit in us. Are you willing to be a people of the presence? I want to come before you today. I want to ask you this question. How are you daily cultivating time with God to dwell in His presence? In my experience, this thing doesn't happen overnight. This is something we grow gradually more aware of. And we're going to start today as a church. So I want to just confess to you as, as your pastor today, what's been going on for me. Stuff hasn't been easy this year. My family's been great. Love my two boys, my wife. I'm so privileged to work on this team. Um, but just spiritually, it's been hard. Uh, it's, it's just been really dry. And it's caused me a lot of grief. And I went away on holidays and I was praying to God and, and he's... And he, and, um, I was just sensing like, God, there's just, I just sense there's a season of wilderness in my life right now. And I was, I was crying out like, what do you want me to preach on? I sense God just say, I want you to preach about my presence. And I'm like, really? Now? Then where is it, God? How come it's, how come it's been so difficult this year for me? I'm just being honest with you. And as I'm preparing for today and the weight of it started to come, I got together with our creative team on Thursday night and just they led and worshiped. It was beautiful. And I just broke down in tears. So I was tired. I was tired of reading my Bible with no answer. I was tired of praying and not hearing. I was tired of going through the motions. I just remember something broken. Something, God, I need you. So I went down to the beach and I was just like, I'm going to just go. I was, there's two, actually, it was two options. I was like, oh, I might just go home and watch a movie. And then I just heard that voice, come. So I went down to the beach at 9.30 at night. I just went for a walk. I just got real with God. I was like, God, where are you? What do you want from me? I'm reading. I'm studying the book of Leviticus at the moment. Like if nothing shows God how dedicated you are. I'm like, God, what more do you want? I pray. I'm trying here. I just cried. 
I just sensed as I started to tell God all I was doing for him. This sounds a spiritual autopilot. God, I've been doing all the things I've always done. All right. What do you want? And I just heard the voice of God say, Michael, I just want you. And it was, it was hard. It was to hear. But then this peace came over me. I was so thankful. Friends, there are some of you here today that are in a hard season. The presence of God has not left. He's doing something. He's at work right now. He gave his son, Jesus Christ, so that his presence would never be far from you ever again. I don't want to plant another church without his presence. I don't want to do another thing without his presence. I don't want to go a minute longer in this service without us cultivating a sense of that presence right now. So we're going to do that together. Would you bow your heads and just close your eyes? We're just going to wait on God. Just as you're sitting there, I just want to say a moment of repentance for me. When I was a youth pastor, I used to do this a lot. Whenever I got the chance to preach. I know, becoming lead minister, just things got different. And we stopped doing this as much. But that's going to change. So right now, we're just going to create a moment for the Holy Spirit to just let us know what He wants to do next. I'm going to pray the ancient prayer of the church. Come, Holy Spirit. We don't beckon you, but when we say come, we ask, make us aware of your presence. As the Holy Spirit comes, I believe that some of you will just start to feel loved like never before. At home like never before. Come, Holy Spirit. What do you want to do right now?